First things first, let's just get this out of the way right here, right now, okay? I mean, I know that we're here for Jesus, right? Let's just establish that. But the way I figure it, Jesus has to be a Vikings fan. Because what happened yesterday was an absolute miracle. If I'm a little hoarse today, now you know why. Um, Leroy handed me some Jolly Ranchers right before the service. I may need those for a little pick-me-up because I used all my adrenaline. All my adrenaline yesterday. So, if you're a Vikings fan, Christmas came early. Merry Christmas. It's good to be with you all uh, this morning. My name is Dayton. I'm the worship pastor here, if we haven't met. And I'm excited to be here um, with you this morning, opening God's Word together. I want to start, speaking of Christmas, I want to start this morning by asking you a question. And that question is, what is the best gift you have ever received? Just take a, take a second to think about that. Maybe, maybe it'll, it'll take a little bit to bring that up. Maybe you have something right away. Um, I had something jump out to me right away. So here's my story. The year is 1994. I was a junior in high school, and my family and I lived in an apartment building. My folks were the caretakers of said apartment building. That will make sense in a minute. Um, so it was Christmas Eve. We, uh, we used to open uh, presents on Christmas Eve. I've since been converted to the correct way of doing it on Christmas morning. Um, but we were, we were done opening gifts, or I thought we were done opening gifts, and my folks told me, hey, you know what? There's one more present. And I'm like, there's nothing under the tree. What are you talking about? And like, well, it's, you got to find it. And so I start looking around. And here tucked around in the back of the tree is this little scroll of paper. Ah, man. Not already. Ah. This is not in the script. Never is. So I open the, I open the paper. And it's a scavenger hunt. And so the scavenger hunt leads me all over our apartment, all over the building. So I'm like in storage closets and down the halls of the laundry room and like back and forth and everywhere. And finally, the last clue led me upstairs to there was a vacant apartment right above ours. And I opened the door and here's my very first electric guitar. Oh, I'm walking through it. There we go. Um, it's not, it's creepy for a second. So that's me and my dad. I really was that pale. Um, it's not a ghost. Um, my first electric guitar. And while I didn't play it till my fingers bled, um, I did play it till it broke. Um, just burned it right out. And um, that is one of, if not the best, Christmas gift that I ever received. Now, we'll come back uh, to that question in a second. But um, Christmas, I don't know if you all know this. If you're aware, if you've looked at a calendar lately, Christmas is literally next week. Like seven days from right now is Christmas Day, which is bonkers. So I think judging by the fact that we're running out of space underneath our king-size bed for hiding presents, I think that we're approaching ready. None of them are wrapped yet, so we still have a lot to do. Um, but how are all of you doing? How is your heart rate seven days out from Christmas? How's your pace? 
How is this landing with you? Because this season can be a lot. There's uh, programs to go to, parties, cards, shopping, wrapping, solidifying plans, not to mention potential grief at this time of year, family conflict, um, trying to meet everyone's expectations. It's a lot. Maybe you disagree with Andy Williams that this is the most wonderful time of the year. I don't know. And that's okay if you do. There's a lot of pressure and a little, and little margin, and that can be a recipe for anxiety and stress. And maybe that's just life in general sometimes. <clears throat> so last time that I preached, I shared a little bit about safety strategies, if you recall. So safety strategies are the things that we turn to or leverage in order to mitigate or decrease stress and anxiety. <clears throat> They're <clears throat> coping mechanisms. And there are three really common ones I know that I've experienced, I don't think I'm alone in this, three common safety strategies that we can fall into, especially at this time of year. And here's what they are. First of all, control. Tell me if this sounds familiar. In order to be secure, I need to be in the driver's seat and make sure that everything happens when it's supposed to happen. Everyone gets to where they need to be, and it all on, happens on time. The second one is, this is a big one for me, perfectionism. In order to measure up, I need to appear like I have everything together. And number three, conservation. In order to have enough, I need to hoard my limited resources. Do any of these sound familiar to you? Does anybody struggle with the same thing? Let me ask you, how's that working out for us? Are these strategies effective? Not so much. Not so much. Not in my, in my experience, not so much. The pernicious nature of a safety strategy is that what actually ends up happening is you end up with more of the thing that you were anxious about in the first place. And it becomes this vicious cycle. And around and around we go. So this morning, I got you three gifts. I got you three presents, and we're going to unwrap them as we walk through uh, the text. And by God's grace and with his help, we will see how these presents, um, actually they're from the Lord. I, I, they're not from me, they're from the Lord. These presents can help us uh, deal with these safety strategies. But before we dive in, let me, let me pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for this season to remember and celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for this space to gather. We thank you for this time to spend in your word together. And I pray that you'd be with me now as I share what you've given me. And I pray that you would help us all to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So last week, Pastor Paul did a fantastic job of unpacking or unwrapping, if you will, uh, the mission and calling of John the Baptist. We see that in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke through the prophetic word that the angel brought to John's father, Zechariah. 
All right? So if we follow the story forward, um, John is born, he grows up, and he starts to fulfill his calling just like the angel said. He fulfills the prophecy that was spoken over him. He starts calling people to repentance and baptizing them as a symbol of renewal and change. And so in the first chapter of the gospel, the gospel of John, we see John the Baptist uh, continuing to fill that, fulfill that prophecy as he turns people to Jesus. He starts witnessing and turning people towards Jesus. It's like, I'm not the Messiah. I'm just the forerunner for the Messiah. And he starts pointing people to, to Jesus. And that brings us to our theme verse uh, for this entire kind of mini Christmas series. And it's found in John 1, verse 29. And it says this, The next day he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a powerful statement. That's a really powerful statement. With one sentence... John connected Jesus with a theme that can be traced throughout the entire story of Scripture. The entire story of Scripture. Sacrifices and sacrificial lambs can be found throughout, throughout the Bible. And while we don't have time to do it like a deep dive into that this morning, I will just quickly walk us through some of the highlights. All right? So, number one. God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, his only son Isaac, and then he provides a sheep as a substitute at the last minute. Um, when we celebrate communion, Pastor Matthew talks about how the people of Israel were instructed to slaughter a lamb without blemish and put the blood on their doorposts of their houses so that the wrath of God would pass over them as he poured out his judgment on the firstborn sons of the Egyptian slave owners. When the law is given to the Hebrew people by God, front and center is the sacrificial system as an atonement for sin, where lambs without blemish would be sacrificed. And that happened both in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple. <clears throat> so that theme runs throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Now, what does that have to do, you might be asking, with Christmas? And I'm so glad that you asked that question. You all ask such uh, timely and insightful questions. I just, I really love and appreciate that. So in order to see that connection, we have to jump back in time to the most classic and descriptive account of the birth of Jesus found in Luke 2. We've already heard the um, <clears throat> part of it. Read Lucas uh, read it uh, this morning during, uh, during the worship set. So this is a familiar scene, right? We've got Mary and Joseph. We've got baby Jesus. We've got angels giving announcements to shepherds. And then the shepherds come and find him. But because this is a very familiar text, I want to start by focusing on three elements of this story. I want to focus on the where, the who, and the what. And I have to say, before we dive into this, um, I was at the Jingle Jam uh, Christmas program on Wednesday night um, that was put on by Children's Ministry. And I'm sitting there during the program. They did a fantastic job, by the way. And they 
categorically and unapologetically stole my thunder for this morning. I'm like sitting, I'm like, have you been reading my notes? Like I wasn't, they're not even done yet. It was amazing. Like just we're such, so on the same page. So kids and parents, if you were at Jingle Jam, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna warn you, um, this might be some review uh, for you, okay? And I didn't have time to rewrite my sermon in two days, and it never hurts to double check, right? We'll just, we'll chalk it up to Holy Spirit resonance. All right. So, number one, the where. The where is Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the city of David, who himself started out as a shepherd, and that was the region where that was specifically designated for the raising of the lambs that were used in the temple sacrifice. This is dedicated ground, dedicated um, space. So that's the where. The who is the shepherds. The shepherds in question were not just lowly outsiders that are just kind of dirty off in a field somewhere, right? These shepherds were most likely, because of the area that they were in and what it was purposed for, were Levitical shepherds. They're part of the tribe of Levi that we had the specific responsibility of raising and inspecting these lambs designated for temple sacrifice. And those lambs must be without blemish or defect. Starting to see the pieces come together here. Have you ever wondered, before we get to the what, have you ever wondered, I've read, I've read this text probably hundreds of times, have you ever wondered how the shepherds found Mary and Joseph? Like, they didn't have the celestial GPS system that the wise men had uh, a couple years later, right? They didn't have a star, like, guiding them and stopping over the place, so how do they know? They just kind of go door to door in Bethlehem and be like, hey, have you guys seen like a, a newborn infant that like is swaddled and do you, do, you have a, do you have a manger? No? Okay, sorry. Sorry to bother you in the middle of the night. Um, the sign, the key is the sign that the angels gave to the shepherds. The sign that they, um, the sign that they gave them, that the angels said, that they would be in the right spot is that the baby would be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, swaddling cloths were also called lamb's cloth. And they were just like we do with newborn human babies. They were used to wrap the newborn lambs in to ensure that they were secure and they were protected from hurting themselves or being marred or stepped on or injured or made dirty by the other sheep. And then they were set apart and laid in a manger so that they would be, so that they would also be protected and kept without blemish and without defect. So according to um, history and archaeology, there was a special place in Bethlehem called the Tower 
of the flock. And it was specifically designated for this very purpose, for bringing the lambs in, for processing them, for inspecting them, and then keeping them safe and keeping them protected so that they would be available for their holy um, use in the temple. So there's a good case to be made here, actually, that this is where Mary and Joseph had Jesus, that they stayed in the tower of the flock because there's no room anywhere else for them to stay. It would have, it would have had all of these elements contained in it. So how did the shepherds know how to find Jesus? Because the signs that the angel gave them were the tools of their trade. In the very, it would have led them right to their main place of work, the center of their vocation, the tower of the flock. So this is where we get to open gift number one. Okay? Now, I didn't wrap these. I'm sorry. I'm just going to give them to you. I hope that's okay. All right? Gift number one is the intentionality of God's plan. The intentionality of God's plan. Look how beautifully God orchestrates all of the elements of the birth of Jesus together so that everyone is in the right place at the right time. He arranges for Jesus as the perfect Lamb of God to be born in the very place and in the very manner in which the sacrificial lambs were born ready for inspection by the very Levitical shepherds who were tasked with examining the lambs and declaring them to be without blemish or spot and set apart. And this all comes about according to his will and his plan. He makes this happen. So why is that a gift to us? Why is the intentionality of God's plan a gift to us? Because it is a direct contrast to our safety strategy of control. When we look at God's attention to detail and his masterful orchestration of time and space and setting, the way that he wove this together, I think we realize that A, any semblance of control that we think we have is an illusion. And B, he's far better suited to be in charge than we are. Can I get an amen? Because that is the truth. Now, when we see his perfect plan unfold as a sign of his sovereignty and his omnipotence, that should give us confidence then to trust him more deeply and to relinquish our need for control over to him. Now, whether Jesus was actually born in the tower of the flock or not, let's not get hung up on that detail. The symbols and the signs involved, meaning the signs that the angel actually gave them, the swaddling cloths and the manger, those are still powerful pointers identifying who he was and what he came to do. And that brings us to gift number two. I didn't wrap this one either. Gift number two is the identity of God's Savior. The identity of God's Savior. So Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes, cloths, lying in a manger, inspected by Levitical shepherds in the place designated for raising sacrifice, leads us back to our original text. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
And again, this is the theme that we see woven throughout the tapestry of Scripture. It all points to the identity of Jesus and what he embodies and the way that he fulfills that. Let's go back to the examples I listed earlier. Abraham and Isaac, right? Unlike Isaac, God would not spare his only son, but through the obedience of Jesus, like Isaac, he provides us with a substitute so that we can have life. Passover in Exodus. God would sacrifice his own firstborn son so that his wrath passes over and spares us the recompense for our sin so that we can have freedom from it. And then the law's sacrificial system. So unlike the, la- the blood of lambs, which only temporarily atones for sin and lacks the ability to take away the sin, Jesus would himself become the spotless lamb of God without defect to be the sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world, not once, but for all time. That theme continues past our text into the New Testament writers. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You cannot put a finer point on it than that, right? That's overt use of the same language. Peter's connecting the theme. He's connecting it all the way through. So the identity of Jesus is a gift to us because it means that he is the ultimate atonement, a better lamb providing a better sacrifice in a better covenant. And he does that for the whole world. That word for world there is the same one that's used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, everyone in it, that he gave his only begotten son. So why? Why would we go back to grinding things out on our own? by employing the safety strategy of perfectionism to try and look like we have it all together, like we're self-sufficient, like we don't need saving. Let me just tell you, friends, perfectionism is not the same thing as righteousness. Those are two different things. It's really just being good at behavior modification. And I'm an Enneagram type 1, and I'm a recovering people pleaser, so I know what I'm talking about, okay? Behavior change, actual behavior change, is a downstream product of heart transformation and renewal of the mind, and those things only come through Jesus. Amen? So Jesus offers us the freedom from that facade of perfectionism because as the spotless, perfect Lamb of God, without blemish or defect, he already did the work. 
He's already done the work. He's already embodied all of that. And he's paid the price for our sin with his ultimate sacrifice on the cross and through his triumphant resurrection. So let's go back to my original question for a second. What's the best gift you have ever received? Step back into my Christmas story with me for a second, but I want you to imagine that it's your Christmas story, right? So whatever you, if, you, if you're Christmas Eve people, that's fine. I was just teasing before, okay? It's okay. Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, imagine yourself there. You think all the gift opening is done, but there's one last present hidden way, way in the back. It's tucked away. It's exquisitely wrapped, and you pull it out. And you slowly untie the ribbons and you peel back the paper and it reveals this card. And you're like, a card? There better be some, there better be a gift card inside of this, right? But you open the gift, you open the card, and instead of an electric guitar scavenger hunt, what you find is it says this. As of today, all of your debts have been paid in full. Credit cards, mortgage, student loans, medical bills, your kid's orthodontia. It's all taken care of with no strings attached. Think about that. How would you respond? I think I might lose my mind a little bit, right? That's something tangible that we can get our minds around because those are the weight and the burdens and the things that we worry about that cause us anxiety. That would be an incredible gift. And yet, the gift that we have been given in the sacrifice of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the debt of our sin is far greater and far more valuable. So how do we respond to that? Let's go back to the shepherds for a moment. Verse 17 and 18, it says, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And then verse 20, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. That brings us to gift number three. Gift number three is the invitation to God's joy and generosity. The invitation to God's joy and generosity. So in the face of the most amazing thing that they had ever seen, these shepherds, their automatic response was to tell everyone and to glorify and praise God. And they were generous with their story and with their time because they were overcome with joy. Now let me tell you, I am a walking example right now of the natural human response when after encountering something awesome, you want to tell somebody about it. Right? But we have the invitation and the opportunity to follow the example of the shepherds by praising God and generously sharing our joy with others. And what that means is we don't need the safety strategy of conservation 
because we don't need to fear not having enough. And you fill in the blank, whatever enough means to you. We don't need to fear that. We don't have to be miserly and selfish and stingy with what we've been given. There's no need to hoard resources when we have literally been given the most abundant gift of all time. And in case it seems like I'm yelling at you, I need to hear this just as much as, if not more, than everybody else. So here's what joy and generosity can look like. Maybe it looks like thoughtfulness through simple things like opening the door for someone that's coming into a store or parking further away at Target so that someone else can have a more convenient spot. Maybe it looks like encouragement through uh, giving someone, a, a cashier or a server, a compliment or a simple thank you for what you do. Seeing people. Maybe it's kindness just through a smile. Have you ever, are you ever aware, like when you're rushing around like in a hurry and you're late and whatever, are you ever, do you ever think about like what your face looks like? It's not great. I got to catch myself. I'm like, I'm just driving down the street frowning. What for? There's no reason. Maybe joy and generosity looks like time and presence. Presence, like being present, not, not gift presence. Um, and maybe that's through listening or spending quality time with someone or volunteering Maybe as a greeter, as part of the hospitality team. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. Just like these are just things that are just coming to me. Maybe it looks like forgiveness. Through releasing resentment and expectation and grudges. Or maybe it looks like your story. Maybe it looks like sharing what Jesus has done for you. And I want to say, this isn't just a bunch of other things, tasks to add to your already full to-do list. What I'm highlighting is the invitation that we have to authentically respond and to be joyous and generous people in light of what the Lord has done for us. So, like last week... The three gifts, these three gifts are a chance for us to turn from our default strategies toward what are called expansive strategies. These are just the opposite of everything that we just talked about. So if a safety strategy creates more anxiety and more stress, an expansive strategy creates more room, creates more capacity to handle whatever it is that we're anxious about, and we don't do that on our own. So here's, as we close, here's three expansive strategies for you. Number one, rest. Rest. In light of God's intentional plan, let go of the need for control and trust his goodness, his sovereignty, and his provision. 
There are so many scriptures that I could give you, but this is the one I always come back to when I think about this. Psalm 46.10. Be still. Literally, cease striving. And what? Know that I am God. Safety, uh, expansive strategy number two. Receive. Receive. So in light of Christ's identity as the spotless Lamb of God, let's let go of the need to appear perfect and accept the gift of what he's already done for us. We see that in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, familiar words. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. And finally, so we have rest, receive, respond. Or RSVP, if you want. Because we're talking about invitations. In light of God's invitation, let's let go of the need to conserve resources and respond with joy and generosity. And we see this in um, these words by, in 1 Peter again. He says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So friends, as, as we close today, my prayer for all of us is that instead of reaching for the low-hanging fruit of these safety strategies that we, that we employ, the safety strategies of control and perfectionism and conservation, that this Christmas we would be able instead to rest and to receive and to respond generously because of the good news of great joy, the greatest gift of all, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for being in charge. You are so much more suited to it than we are. And we thank you for the ultimate gift of your son. We're sending him to be the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, I pray that you would help us to embody your joy and generosity as we praise you and we bless others this Christmas. And it's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.